Welcome to Speaking of Service, the podcast that uncovers practical ways to grow service revenue, control costs, and improve customer satisfaction. If you're looking to innovate, gain a competitive edge, or just learn about the latest service trends, you've come to the right place. Today, Chris Wolf, VP of Strategy Partnerships, welcomes back to Speaking of Service, John Carroll, CEO and co-founder of the Service Council, to discuss the current state of field service and the trends he's seeing in the market. Hi folks, you're in for a real treat with me here today. Uh, John Carroll is a friend of the program. He's a friend to PTC and to me. Uh, he's been with us before talking about trends that his organization, the Service Council, has uncovered performing both primary empirical research as well as other types of stealth research that he usually only shares with his members, but he's gonna share some of those findings with us and you here today. The Service Council is a membership organization of 5,000 people or 5,000 organizations. John, you'll have to keep me accurate here. Uh, he's the CEO, the founder, and the chief research officer. Welcome back to Speaking of Service, John. Great to see you. Likewise, Wolfie. And uh, yeah, really appreciate the the partnership with PTC over the years. And as we look at our community, it's uh, we, we have the benefit of speaking with many of PTC's strategic customers on a day-to-day -day basis, because our, our community is very centered on the on the set of manufacturing industries which PTC supports. So, so really interested to bring to bear some, some recent data from our research efforts. Just in silhouette, what would a typical member of the Service Council look like as an organization? Yeah, so um, we uh, when we break down our community, we have uh, 35,000 research panelists global on a global basis. Um, and uh, from an industry perspective, 75% um, of that audience uh, is representative of a manufacturing or an asset-centric, dispatch-centric uh, business methodology. Um, so looking under the hood of manufacturing, industrial manufacturing, high-tech, medical healthcare represents some of our strength in terms of industry penetration. The other remaining 25% um, are B2C industries, retail, hospitality, travel and leisure, uh, airlines, and some other industries. And we really like that um, because what we're trying to do is cross-pollinate best practices. And there's a lot of consumerization pressures impacting business-to-business -business sectors. So it's really good to take an outside-in approach to learning from uncommon industries which share common pains and pressures. So I know you've just completed a major research effort. Tell us a little bit about the work that you've done and, and the findings that you're publishing. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, we, uh, we, we, do, we, we have done 100 ben benchmark surveys over the last seven years. So it's, uh, we're never short on data. And if I talk too long, just you know, give me the cutoff, would you? Um, but uh, the, the most recent effort, um, we did two actually, one of which was a stealth project, which you referenced, which is really tied to an important topic around commercial services trends. So how are service leaders repackaging, rethinking, um, and re-executing on revenue initiatives. Um, so that's uh, an interesting stealth project we did, qualitative in nature, interviews. Uh, the other is more quantitative, and it's one that we've done for the last six years. It's called the Service Leaders Agenda. And this is a, a macro-level survey where we uh, gather 100-plus service and customer support executives to tell us what are the internal and external pressures, what are their key focus areas, what are their top investments, how are investments changing year over year, um, and there's some really revealing findings. Uh, from a key focus perspective, 
this year we see a little bit of a shift. Um, so from from the years and from the period of 2018 to 2021, those four years, we always saw cost and CX, customer experience initiatives, as one and two. And quite honestly, they flip-flop back and forth. Um, and, and that happened year over year for, for a period of four years. When we went into the pandemic year, we saw a lot of organizations turn their attention towards business continuity and cost, right? So how can we control costs? When we emerged, we saw the turning to growth, revenue. Well, this year, we see the continuance of growth and revenue as a top area of focus. Um, and, and that's right behind performance management. So there's this ongoing pressure amongst service leaders in terms of available resources, capacity, and all the things challenged by available technicians and engineers and, and skill sets and quality of workforce. Uh, so that's always, I think, going to be number one. But right behind that, we see innovation and the expansion of the service portfolio, followed by CX initiatives falling down a little bit. But I think it's because there's a lot of innovation um, efforts being taken to align with today's customer uh, and the future customer. So it's kind of interesting to see the key focus areas kind of evolve. And I can walk through some of the external pressures, trends, as well as the internal pressures and trends and those technology investments that I referenced as well. Well, you've articulated a lot in that statement. You know, it sounds to me as though the, the trend is towards pressure, pressure, and more pressure. Pressure to, to grow, pressure to grow more profitably, take cost out, enhance customer service, all of which builds up to looking to innovation as to how you can do things better, differently, more effectively. How are service executives placing investment bets? Yeah, that's a, a great question, great lead-in, and, and you're absolutely right. Uh, service continues to sort of raise its profile within the organization. The leader of the service organization is still uh, battling its way into the boardroom discussion. Um, and, and we've been talking evangelically about maturing this industry towards making sure that service is represented at the board level and making sure service is looked at as a strategic profit lever, because it should be. Um, we're still seeing not resistance, but just a, a slow pace to get there fully across our membership. So there's a lot of room for growth. But as we look at sort of the external and, and internal pressures uh, that are driving some of the investments, it kind of tells a really cool story. Well, not cool, kind of dire in many regards. But from an external perspective, uh, workforce and talent shortage continues to be the number one pressure, followed by supply chain. There's some lingering uh, challenges with respect to agility, availability of parts. So we hear a lot about nearshoring, offshoring. Uh, we hear a lot about creating redundancy in the supply chain. But following that is is the economic climate, and that's impacting. It, we're we're moving from an inflationary environment to a deflationary environment. It's kind of some weirdness in terms of these macroeconomic trends. Flipping the page and going internal, uh, we see uh, they're all skill set and and people oriented. So we see a lack of resources. We see workforce engagement and retention um, uh, being challenged still, uh, and we see skill sets and quality uh, deficiencies remaining. Um, so there's a lot of focus in terms of investments on trying to solve some of those issues. Um, when we look at year-over-year uh, -year investment trends, uh, we see uh, a number of sort of telling stories. Um, frontline wages are being invested in uh, at a greater pace. That's the number one year-over-year -year increase in terms of investment, followed by training. So a very strong people orientation to the top two investment trends 
that we're seeing a, an increase to. The third is service product portfolio. So it has that continued theme of revenue innovation, tying it to the future and uh, customer, if you will. But right behind that, technology is still uh, a really top investment that's growing year over year at 61% of respondents. Now, that's down from 2022 uh, because I think there's some challenges right now that organizations are facing macroeconomically. Mm. Um, but it's still a really strong area of focus. And I have some trends that sort of tells a story about new and expanded technology investments, if you'd like me to spend a couple minutes talking about that. Absolutely. So tell me about new and expanding technology investments. Sure will. Sure will. So from a, from a new technology perspective, there's an interesting story. Uh, really quick, the headline here is that the the business of service there's a there's a horse race. There's a battle being be, that's taking place right now. Where does the service business reside in terms of its management? Is it in ERP? Is it in CRM? Is it in a best of breed service lifecycle management platform or a field service management platform? Whatever nomenclature you use, um, and you'll hear in the technology investment trends that that battle is going to continue. Uh, the number one new investment uh, among service leaders is field service management and service lifecycle management. We see a continued focus on the consolidation of platforms, the elimination of disparate systems, the single source of truth for service, and in more asset-centric industries that are complex in nature, where you require tracking and traceability of complex assets for you know, all those warranty cost reduction opportunities with serialized components and subcomponents and the, the, the complexity of scheduling and routing and dispatch requirements, we see a greater need for a, a field service management and service lifecycle management platform. So it's not shocking that that's the number one new investment. Following that, uh, we see a continued focus on agile uh, practices in the field. So mobile apps is, um, is the number two new investment. And then behind that, we see a focus on artificial intelligence and, and machine learning. Um, with a, a very uh, pointed intention to help use those technologies to serve the purpose of creating guided workflows. Mm -hmm. um, so being proactive with our uh, service executives that are on the front line um, and, and really up-level, uh, upskilling up and reskilling and level setting on those available talent and skill set shortages that I just talked about. On the expanded investment side, Business intelligence is being expanded uh, at a really great pace. Uh, Ninety-seven percent of service leaders in, in indicated that they'd be investing greater in business intelligence, and right behind that was knowledge management. And the number three expanded investment is CRM. Um, so that was kind of that that battle, right? We see expanded investment in CRM. We see the number one new investment as SLM and field service management platforms. So. Where does the rubber meet the road if, in, in terms of where the, the business of service is going to be managed? Mm -hmm. The last uh, technology investment trend on the expanded side um, is that we see a greater emphasis on contact center. So, uh, again, the contact center can be the front line of defense in many regards. Um, uh, uh, predictive maintenance activities can take place in the contact center. Remote service can take place in the contact center. And that's really sort of lining up the customer trends with the service leader trends. We want to reduce costs. We also want to meet the customer where they want to be met. So this remote infrastructure, remote contact center support investment trend kind of speaks volumes to that. 
John, here at PTC, we have a point of view about informing those downstream in the field customer-facing activities with data and information from engineering and from PLM systems to help really pinpoint and enable the best possible service, first-time fix, all of those things. How, um, how able are your members adapting and embracing that, what we call the digital threat? I'm sure they have their own term for it, but getting yeah. your digital house in order upstream so that you can enable those downstream functions. I think it's it's vital. We're looking at uh, last year's digital transformation technology trends, um, and and there was a lot of reactive. Actually, in the previous several years, pandemic infused, there was a lot of reactive technology investments that were taking place, um, and a, a lot of what we were framing as modernization efforts. Right, the digitization of different functional workflows across the organization, and what we were hearing from members was that there was a siloed approach to many of these technology investments, right? The, the modernization was happening in pockets and there wasn't a seamless flow for both the employee as well as the customer in terms of those workflows. So the customer was feeling choppiness in the experience and the employee delivering service was experiencing choppiness in the delivery of service and support. So we've been uh, really building some energy around moving from modernization to digital transformation. We've heard digital transformation uh, enough by, at this point, um, but it, digital transformation is, is just uh, uh, altogether different than modernization. So um, we see and hear a lot of member organizations thinking about you know, removing the silos that exist and, and to your point, threading the technology together into that single pane of glass. And there's a lot of benefits to doing so, especially in asset manufacturing industries the knowledge that can be garnered from service delivery, um, from service events, from work order uh, history and customer history can be uh, circular in terms of the design process for new products and services moving forward. So we see a big emphasis on thinking about how do we collaborate across function to think about the benefit of that data and intelligence from the uh, asset perspective from cradle to grave and then circular in nature. So. A lot of members are, are placing a big focus on that threading uh, element that you talk about. That comes back to your point about making service a board level concern. What yeah. titles and what types of executives are you seeing taking the reins and helping create an enterprise focus on service as a profit center where maybe in the past it was considered an ancillary function or a cost center even? Yeah, we're we're seeing more and more. Um, there there are some C level titles that are coming about. Um, so we hear chief customer officer a little bit more commonly. Um, we and, and but sometimes that has a little bit too much of a sales slant. So we're seeing more progressive organizations that recognize service. Um, in in some instances, uh, announcing the appointment of a chief service officer, um, and that's uh, kind of a throwback to. Uh, uh, my days at Aberdeen Group, Boston-based IT analyst firm, we had a, an event called the Chief Service Officer Summit, which was, you know, th not that there were chief service officers running around, you know, many organizations, that, but, but that by, by role, uh, excuse me, by title, but by role and function there were. And mm -hmm. so uh, the, the, there was a little bit of a evangelical message to that chief service officer title. Um, I would tell you that that's not happening uh, across the board yet. Um, there, there's still a V or an SVP or uh, an EVP role that's overseeing services and support. 
Um, and um, I still think we're getting to that boardroom transition where there's going to be a carve out of that chief service officer. But we, uh, we of course, think that it's uh, an appropriate step for many organizations to take. John, you've done research for years on the percentage of your members who are delivering effective reactive service, those who've crossed over to be predictive and even proactive. And the siren song has always been outcome-based servitization. What's the mix yep. look like? And how's the, you know, are you moving the middle? And where's the bulk of that membership sit today on that maturity curve? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we asked that question in the service leaders agenda survey, and I can give you the data 2022 versus 2023. We're seeing growth with respect to predictive and proactive. So year over year, uh, 2023 suggests that 45% of our responding uh, survey takers indicated they expect to achieve predictive and proactive service in 2023. And that's a seven point increase from 38% in 2022. Um, we see some contraction in terms of outcome-based services. Mm. So um, servitization is a challenging road to travel. Um, culturally speaking, you know, asset-centric manufacturers that report to shareholders there's a huge challenge with respect to financial reporting and operational strategies and the flow of goods and services and money aligned with that good and service. So um, it is a battle uh, in terms of culturally speaking to get to outcome-based services. Um, the trend here is that uh, 2023 um, is uh, 20 percent versus 2022, which is 28%. Uh, uh, so it's it's fallen down from one in four or even a little bit greater, three out of ten, to about uh, one out of every five that have, that expect to achieve outcome-based services. And I think it's because of that reason that's you know cultural in nature. Um, but we, I, I think the interesting trend is that the achievement of predictive and proactive is one thing operationally, but commercially speaking, that's another thing. And so we see a lot of focus as we kind of revisit the key focus areas on innovation, expansion of service portfolio, aligning that with customer, the future customer, uh, we see a lot of revisiting of how do you package your service? How do you standardize your service offerings? Um, how do you carve out predictive and proactive as a particular uh, service level agreement that might be above your normal uh, SLAs? And, and so uh, there's an intention here to uh, carve out that commercial program product and service that's geared towards predictive and proactive in nature. So I would say outcome-based services is kind of achieved in pockets. Predictive and proactive service is a little bit more universal. Um, and um, that would be my kind of summary takeaway on on where we are. You've sort of given your membership a, a, a grading scorecard here. Give PTC a scorecard. What have we done well, in your opinion, to help our services, uh, customers, and professionals deliver better service, what would you look to us to be doing to keep that momentum going? I hope it's momentum. It sure is. Yeah. I mean, PTC has been on a journey in the services space for many decades now. And I think um, well positioned um, in terms of all the organic and inorganic growth that uh, PTC has taken, right? So there's been a journey with, you know, Exita acquisitions, I, you know, in the IoT space with Exita and ThingWorks, there's been uh, some uh, uh, exploding product diagram uh, acquisitions, Enigma. There's been some contract and warranty management acquisitions in 4CS and 
you've got Servagistics and all the capabilities they possessed in terms of MCA solutions and click commerce. And, um, and now you see the coming together of the full story. And I, I was really excited. My reaction to the acquisition of ServiceMax was a very positive one. Now, I'm not a financial analyst, so I'll let them kind of duke it out in terms of what was paid and what sort of valuation was uh, achieved. But uh, from an application to the market, uh, I think it completes the story. Um, it's a really exciting movement. Um, as you can tell, the number one new investment for our members is field service management and service lifecycle management systems. So uh, it, it does complete the story. And, and going back to the point earlier about cradle to grave on assets and, and manufactured products and parts, uh, it does kind of complete the swing for, for PTC in many regards. So it's it's an interesting thing, and I would give you a I'd give you an A grade in terms of your approach to addressing the service market. Well, you're kind. We appreciate that, John. We haven't talked about you know the summary that you've seen of the trends from the research, both your stealth interviews as well as the empirical research you've done. Yeah, let me let me just summarize some of the things that we talked about today, and 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 some of the things that we're kind of seeing service leaders double down on. So. Uh, I'll frame it in six uh, key takeaways. So number one, uh, we see service continue to rise in terms of its profile within the organization. So there's a shift uh, from cost center to profit center, and there's a shift in terms of where does the service leader sit within the organization? Are they a boardroom discussion participant or not? And those progressive mature organizations um, are creating uh, a pathway to the boardroom for the service leader. Um, we see uh, greater definition of labor strategies, so onboarding, time to value of new engineers, creating greater engagement for our existing engineers, and that's coming to fruition in the form of um, employee uh, career journeys and career mapping, but it's also coming in the form of creating an effortless experience for their day-to-day, -day. so empowering them with information and all the intelligence and knowledge that they need to be effective in the field. And then proactively supporting them with guided workflows and plugging in when and where they need help. Number three, we see a threading together of digital platforms. So um, modernization has happened across the organization. How do we weave these technologies together so there's no pockets in between? We eliminate redundancies and we create this threaded single pane of glass, if you will. Lastly, we see... a. Uh, uh, organizations meeting customers where they want to be met. So how can we create a self-service environment that is adaptable? It's, it doesn't put the, the customer into a controlled, guided you know, customer relationship. It's adaptable to the customer in terms of how they want to be met. Um, and, and it aligns with the personalization requirements that they have with respect to how they want to seek service and support. And if they start their journey in a self-service environment, then go to a remote support center, then go to a dispatch-centric environment that it's seamless in nature and, and it isn't felt uh, and it's not painful to be felt. And lastly, we see uh, this movement to proactive service internally. So I talked a little bit about the employee journey and creating that effortless experience. We see a lot of upskilling and reskilling. We see a lot of guided workflows and we see a lot of being proactive internal to the organization. Um, because uh, with engagement uh, still challenging the younger demographic and the retirement crisis, you know, impacting that other end of the spectrum, there's a labor capacity issue that remains. Doing more with less is just the everyday challenge of service leaders. So focusing on on solving that is a big uh, element of focus that we see. And then the wild card here is that 
we see service leaders doing this with a much more eye towards being being responsible in practice. So ESG, um, sustainability efforts, um, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So creating uh, more responsible practices and all the good things that we're doing from a services standpoint. So those would be a summary of key takeaways, some of the things we talked about today, and hopefully that's uh, useful for our members uh, and for your listenership as we uh, leave today's discussion. Uh, before I let you go, John, uh, I'll give you the last sure. word, but I'd love, you know, we know each other well. Maybe there's a fun fact you want to share with our listeners that they may not know about you or the Service Council. Oh, goodness. All right. So uh, about me, um, I have four children. They're uh, the loves of my life, um, ranging from seven to 14, two boys and two girls. They're all special. One is extra special, my son, Henry is on the autism spectrum. I, uh, I've uh, launched a, uh, a foundation called the Hope Foundation. It's H2O and PE, so it's water-based physical education, and we're establishing partnerships with uh, the Doug Flutie Foundation and others to, to host summer camps across Boston and greater Boston. So that's something that's personal and kind of speaks to something that I, um, that's near and dear to my heart. Um, the Service Council, uh, kind of an interesting thing, our journey we were foundationed, excuse me, we were, we were formulated as a LinkedIn business group. So we didn't just come about, we tested the hypothesis that this was a need. Um, and uh, I did it on my own. Uh, we grew to about a thousand members and members started to collaborate with one another. And I'll never forget it. Larry Wash, who, by the way, at the time was the president of global services for Ingersoll Rand, which I believe was a PTC customer, Still is. asked me to make, make an introduction to um, a healthcare organization to talk about um, launching a services business in Latam at the time. And uh, it was that point where I said, voila, we've got something here. Members want to collaborate and, um, and we can be that facilitator. So that's a little bit of a fun fact about the Service Council, our journey, a LinkedIn business group to now 5,000 members worldwide. John, thank you so much for sharing this information about your research. Congratulations on the growth of the Service Council from a LinkedIn business group to such a worldwide membership. And particularly thank you for sharing that information from your heart, which is near and dear to many of our hearts. Uh, we'll make sure that we share the information about your Hope Foundation on our website as we publish this podcast. And I'm sure you'll get a lot of other affiliate members from that as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time, Wolfie, and I appreciate uh, this is our second session. Uh, we've got to take this show on the road because uh, I really enjoy this. It's always great to spend time together. I'm, I'm up for it. Let's do it. Thanks for listening to the Speaking of Service podcast brought to you by PTC. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. And be sure to check out other episodes to hear new perspectives on improving life for aftermarket professionals, service teams, and the customers they support. If you have a topic of interest or want to provide feedback, email us at speakingofservice@ptc.com at or visit us at ptc.com slash speakingofservice.